welcome to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Marietta, where we are committed to changing lives with faith, hope, and love. We're so glad you are here. Our second reading is from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, and verse 20. Listen again for the word of the Lord. There was a certain man of Ramathine, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroam, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zoph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives, the name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival used to provoke her severely, to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, Penina used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than 10 sons? After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose and presented herself before the Lord. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made this vow, O Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me. and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child, then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall neither drink wine nor intoxicants, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Put away your wine. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman deeply troubled. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation all this time. Then Eli answered, go in peace. The God of Israel grant the petition you have made him. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I have asked him of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever prayed a big prayer? Have you ever prayed for something so big, so bold, so audacious, so impossible that only God himself could answer it? In our Old Testament reading today, we meet Hannah, a woman in the midst of a big prayer. Who is Hannah, you might wonder? Hannah is defined, like most women of her time are defined, by her husband. She's the wife of Elkanah, the son of Jeroam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, 
In other words, Elkanah is from a family. One of those established families that can trace its lineage back four generations. In fact, elsewhere in the Bible, Elkanah's family line is traced back all the way to the original settlers in the promised land. And this is the root of Hannah's crisis. Hannah has many good things in her life except the one thing for which she longs, a child. It would be one thing if Hannah and Elkanah were childless and navigating that together, but there are three people in this marriage. We read that Elkanah has taken a second wife. This was one way to sidestep infertility in the ancient world, but as we see over and over in the Bible, this choice is not without its complications. The second wife bears children and the family line is safe as far as Elkanah is concerned. But what about Hannah? Hannah still has no child. Her doting husband does the best he can to reassure her. All that's left to do is just accept it. But Hannah isn't willing to accept it. Hannah isn't willing to live vicariously through the line of her stepchildren. What about her line? What about her legacy? Doesn't she deserve that too? Hannah demands to be remembered. So the next time her family travels to offer their annual sacrifices, Hannah goes with them. She performs the expected rituals and then she goes back alone. She goes alone and there in the sanctuary, she begins to pray. <clears throat> not just pray, to cry out, to plead, to beg God for a child. Remember me, she prays. Her prayer is not the pious proper prayer that follows the liturgical script. Her prayer is messy, ugly, raw. It's a prayer marked by disheveled hair and torn robes and deep wrenching sobs. If they had mascara back then, hers would be smeared. It's that kind of prayer. This is a prayer that is neither decent nor in order. Hannah isn't decent or in order. And Eli, the priest on duty, is alarmed. He's alarmed that this woman has wandered into this holy place looking like such an unholy mess. Now, Eli might be scandalized by the state that Hannah is in, but Hannah isn't here for Eli. She's not here to play, pray just any old prayer. She's not here to go through the motions because she has a big prayer. And not Eli nor anyone else is going to stand in her way. We don't know all the words that Hannah prayed. We only have part of her prayer in our Bible, and I think that's just as well. I suspect that much of Hannah's prayer was beyond words. Maybe that's why her lips were moving, but no sound came out. Have you ever prayed like that? Have you ever prayed from a place of such despair, such distress, that you couldn't even form the words to say? I've prayed prayers like that. Maybe you have too.
Scripture tells us that when we pray, the Spirit intercedes with wordless groans on our behalf. And I find that comforting. We can talk to God even when our words fail. But being vulnerable isn't easy. It's not easy to say what we need, to confess what we long for. It's not easy to share our deepest fears and our highest hopes, even in prayer. Maybe especially in prayer, because when we pray, there's always a risk. Isn't there? There's always a risk. I shy away from asking God the big things. I do, I shy away from it, because what if I ask and God doesn't answer? What if I tell all my friends and neighbors and coworkers to pray with me for this thing, this huge, important thing? What if we all ask and God doesn't answer? I'd look like a fool. We'd all look like fools. And we don't like looking like fools. Maybe that's why we confide more in our therapist than in God. Therapy is great, it's helpful. It's not the same as prayer. None of us like looking foolish. Last weekend, one of our members, Kaki Gunnels, invited me to a stand-up paddleboarding yoga class. Some of you don't even know what that is. Imagine you're perched on a big surfboard in the middle of Lake Alatoona, and just when you think you've got the hang of standing upright, you add yoga to it. Now, I love paddleboarding. I go almost every weekend in the summer. Now you know where you can find me. Every time I go paddleboarding, I feel like Peter walking on the water towards Jesus, except there's no Jesus and I have a life jacket. I love it. I love paddleboarding and I love yoga. I love them both separately. <laughs> I love them separately. But I was a little nervous about doing them together. It's one thing to balance on one foot from the privacy of your own home. But it's another thing to balance on that one foot while you're balancing on a paddleboard which is bobbing around in the lake. If you fall over, you're going in. And there's no recovering from that. The whole class will witness the failure. The people fishing along the bank will witness your failure. And what's more, they'll witness the indignity of you trying to flop yourself back onto that board because there's no graceful way back on. But still, I did the paddleboard yoga class and I didn't fall into the water, not even once. <laughs> Every time I started to wobble, I stopped and went back to an easier move. I don't know if I could stand on one foot on my paddleboard in the middle of the lake. I don't know because I actually didn't try. I didn't try, which is a shame. I held back. And because I held back, I walked away from that class completely dry and completely unchanged. Isn't that how we often approach 
prayer. We don't want to feel foolish. We don't want to feel off balance. So we hold back. We don't take the risk. We don't pray big prayers. And so we walk away from our morning devotional. We walk away from our Bible study. We walk right out of this great hall unchanged. It takes courage to pray big prayers because big prayers not only invite God to change our world, they invite us to change as well. We cannot pray for justice in our community without examining our part in bringing that justice about. We cannot pray for the hungry to be full without examining our part in feeding them. We cannot pray for God to comfort the grieving without examining our part in giving comfort. Big prayers demand something of us, just as they demand something of God. And Hannah knows that. Hannah knows that her prayer is no different. Remember me, she prays, even as she knows what that will require from her. And in the end, Hannah isn't just remembered, she's celebrated. See, Samuel's birth is miraculous on several levels. His birth is not only addressing a family crisis, his birth addresses a national crisis. Samuel is born in this in-between time. His ancestors followed Moses through the wilderness and into the promised land where they settled in tribes by families. And those tribes are ruled by judges. When things, things do start out okay under this system, but the system quickly devolves. Until we get to the time of Samuel where we find among God's people murder, rape, pillaging, and a civil war that nearly wipes out the entire tribe of Benjamin. The very last line of the book of Judges reads this, all the people did what was right in their own eyes. The moral fabric of this new society is in shreds because the people have forgotten their God. And into this chaos, into this lost generation comes Hannah praying for a child. And do you know who Samuel will grow up to become? He will grow up to become a priest who anoints the first king of Israel. And he will become the priest that anoints the second king of Israel, King David. And under King Saul and King David, Israel finds its way back into relationship with God. But it starts with Samuel, and Samuel starts with an audacious prayer by Hannah. And so here comes Hannah with a woman of such great faith, the kind of faith that demands that God move mountains. Hannah prays a big impossible prayer and God responds. And so Samuel becomes living proof that God can and does do impossible things. You know what happens when we don't pray big? Nothing. Nothing happens when we don't pray big. What's worse, when we shy away from asking God what we really need, what we really dream of and hope for, when we shy away from asking, we don't even give God a chance. 
We don't give God a chance to show what mountains he might move. Hannah could not have imagined the ways that her faith was laying a foundation for the future. She couldn't have imagined that her faithfulness would change the trajectory of a nation. We can't imagine the way our faith is laying a foundation for the future. The prayers we pray today lay the foundation for what comes tomorrow. So First Presbyterian Church, let's pray big. Let's pray big. In fact, this church already has. Our after-school program, Club 330, was born out of a big prayer. Our food distribution mission was born out of a big prayer. And those are just recent examples. This church has been praying big prayers for almost two centuries. Let's pray big. Let's pray bold, audacious prayers. Let's ask for what feels impossible. And as we do, may we remember what Hannah remembered, that nothing is impossible with God. Amen. This podcast is a ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Marietta. Come join us Sundays at 189 Church Street, Marietta, Georgia, or visit us online at fpcmarietta.org.